Hello, friends, and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Of Leadership. I am Alex. I'm John. I'm Zach. And today's topic is about can you trust an artist? Um, and it's going to be a bit different of an episode, I would say, from the standpoint of we're going to be looking a little bit deeper into the Friedman Fables files. That's three Fs. Um, Sounds like my junior high report card. <laughs> oh, but your parents um, thought they were A's. <laughs> B- B's. B's. That's what it was, B's. Um, but it is episode 83. Um, any comments or thoughts on um, the number 83? I, I have one. Uh, 1983. Great year. That's when I was born. Wow. Aww. So Let's there you have Let's take it. A, a short break from the year of John to recognize... The year of Alex in 1983. Wow. Mm. Rip. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that was the beginning of my senior year, by the way. Mm. 1983. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now so. we need Alex's your, uh, your, what, the last four digits of your social or your mother's maiden name. Yes. And McGillicuddy. What and city were you born in? A7. Or what was the name, make, make and model of your first car? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward Pontiac. <laughs> and then uh, the name of your first pet. Name of my first pet, Rocky. Okay, internet, go to town. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the Russians typing away. Uh, there they go. Mm-hmm. They got nothing to do after tampering with election results, so. <laughs> got to move on to something else to <laughs> hack into. You got to hack into this podcast. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. <laughs> I'm sure it's right on their radar. I know. I'm very untrustworthy of them. <laughs> well, tonight's podcast uh-huh. is uh, about art class, actually. Mm. it's uh, We're going to get into a Friedman fable uh, dealing with art, but I thought it might be useful for our listeners to hear a little bit about our art experience. Mm-hmm. So in my household, my brother was the artist. My brother got a degree in commercial art. I wasn't a great artist, but I did like to make these. I, I would take a piece of paper, so I'd have an art thing to do for an assignment. And I'd almost never look at the directions And I would draw an X on a piece of paper, and then I would draw a cross on that same piece of paper, and then I would start connecting all the lines together to make somewhat of a, what's a geometric shape that was reciprocal all throughout, and then I would color in the various areas, and I would turn that in as my art project. And, you know, maybe it was supposed to do something with clay, but I would turn in that piece of paper. And finally, my teacher said, you need to find something different to turn in other than this and handed it back to me. And I was so proud of my 17th picture that looked like the other 16, uh, (laughs) but I wasn't very good at art. And I did the same thing every single time. One last art story. I was sitting in art class and I was pretty good at catching flies not sure what that says about me, but I caught a fly in my hand and this girl that sat across from me, she said, I think you caught that fly. And I said, no, I didn't, even though I know I thought I did, but to impress her, I stuck the fly in my mouth <laughs> and I could feel the fly buzzing in my mouth and I opened my mouth up and the fly f- flew out 
and I thought she'd be impressed, but she was grossed out and asked to use the restroom. <laughs> so <laughs> that was my art experience. Wonderful. Um, Zach, do you have an art experience? Yeah, mine's on a completely different note. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mm-hmm. elementary or middle school-ish, uh, uh, I think it was elementary school, I had to do a clay art project. So I think I decided to make some sort of an ashtray for my grandpa. And I think I shaped it like a cross or something, you know, like a simple project. And then, well... Did you say a cross ashtray? A cross-shaped ashtray. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow, that sounds like it would work perfectly. Yes, it's nothing uh, like a no issues circle. There. It's the hit of the century. Mm-hmm. I figured, you know, the form just wasn't there in the existing concepts. You know, I was very industrious at that you age. You could really get the ashes right, mm-hmm. just barely on the spot. Mm-hmm. And so, several years later, <laughs> you ready for this? Grandpa dies. <laughs> And I haven't given it to him yet. And I feel so bad about it that we bury him with it. (laughs) (laughs) This has become, it got dark real fast. (laughs) Grandpa Bubba, Uh your smoking didn't kill you. (laughs) Oh, wow. This is going to be hard to top. I do have a two for one special as well on my art stories. Number one, um, this must have been, I don't know, third grade, fourth grade. It came to the age, you know, when, when boys are just learning new words to make fun of each other about. You don't really know what the words mean, but, you know. So I remember at one point I, there, was a, there was a kid we picked on a lot. Um, and uh, I feel even bad even bringing it up. I called him some name. I know what the name was. I will not repeat it on the air. But I felt so mortified after saying it that I like turned as white as a ghost and went home sick. And I actually ended up doing a diorama that I had to do because I forgot about it at home with my mom. So that was fun. Secondly, um, I actually was an art director, in case you do not know. Did you just say secondively? Secondively. Okay. Yes. Secondivalyth. Yes. Uh-huh. I, it's, okay. It's great wordage. And um, I, uh, I was an art director at the Boys and Girls Club of Maslin, Ohio, um, home of the Tigers, um, where I believe between Canton and Maslin, there's a little thing of where football was created. So thank you very much. Singing your praises, Zach. Sports. Yes. And so there, there was basically one rule for me was there was a child there that constantly you just don't, you're supposed to not leave him in the bathroom because he will plug the tub sink and it will overflow and flood the downstairs. Well, I broke the one rule. (laughs) It flooded over into the copiers downstairs in the offices. Um, Somehow I was not fired and actually later congratulated on how clean the room was. Did they learn any art? Probably not. Um, I just a side story on this one. I had like five year olds, and my desk was like in the corner. And at one point, I put <laughs> I put cardboard up so they couldn't come in and hug me. <laughs> that was pre COVID, by the way. Yes, that was pre COVID. I just was getting so many hugs, and I like hugs, but when they was just hugging the entire class, I just felt that was inappropriate. Yeah, well, boundaries are I important. Need my space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, those are inspirational art stories, Uh and we're going to actually hear a story about Billy. Oh, Billy. Billy the artist. Okay, Billy. 
So this comes from, as you mentioned, a book called Friedman's Fables. And this podcast is based in Bowen Family Systems Theory. And Ed Friedman was an individual who studied under Dr. Murray Bowen. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a series of fables that were designed to illustrate concepts found in Bowen theory. And this particular fable is called Projection. When Billy was about six, he drew his first picture on the bedroom wall. His mother, between wanting her child to express himself and wanting her wall to be clean decided to let him be. As his hand grew more steady, however, Billy's mother noted that most of his drawings had something in common. All his figures were lying down. Startled, she told her husband. After dinner, he went up to Billy's room. It was exactly as his wife had said. On each wall, Billy had scribbled scenes of figures lying down. None of the figures were standing or sitting. Everyone was lying down. What could it mean? Should they ask him? Perhaps this was just a phase. Father thought it best to wait, but for mother it became too difficult to avoid the subject completely. Finally, she said to her son, Billy, I noticed that in all your pictures you always draw everyone lying down. Yes, mother, said Billy, and he went on drawing. His mother was so upset by the sureness of her son's response, as well as his indifference to her anxiety, that, with the burning question now spoken, she dropped the subject and left the room. After a month or so, however, as Billy's artistry improved, his mother noticed something else consistent in her son's drawings. Not only was everyone lying down, but it also appeared that everyone was hurt. Some seemed to have sticks protruding from their bodies. If faces were drawn, the eyes were always closed, and the position of many seemed to indicate that they were out or dead. Again, she told her husband, and again he found his wife was right. Each figure his son had drawn showed little life and the ribbons of red color attached to many of the bodies suggested they were gushing blood. Once more, the parents caucused. Why was their son fixated on pain? Was he trying to express his own? Was he depressed, maybe even suicidal? Perhaps he was angry. Late into the evening, the father and mother discussed possibilities. Were they not good to him? Had they unwittingly favored his sister? Had they failed to give him a chance to express his feelings? Perhaps they should consult a professional. Oh, this is ridiculous, said the father finally. Why don't we just ask him? But perhaps, worried the mother, that's the worst thing we could do. I mean, to call attention to it? Suppose he is hiding something. He might bury them deeper. Indecisive, Billy's parents went to bed to spend a sleepless night. The next morning, however, father walked into his son's room and said with all the natural with all the naturalness ooh, that's a tough one, he could muster. He said this 
Billy, it seems to me that in each of your drawings, people not only are always lying down, but they're also always in pain. I mean, is that how you meant it? Yes, father, answered Billy, and said no more. Well, said his father, again trying hard to be natural, just why? That is, how come? I I mean, well, what's the reason for that? That's just the way I think them up, said Billy, who continued playing with his toys. As it had been with his wife, Billy's father became so disarmed by the nonchalance of his son's response that he dropped the subject and went to work. After all, Billy was basically a good boy. He never had trouble in school. Taking him to the doctor might actually nip something creative in the bud. For the next six months or so, as Billy's artwork became more sophisticated, it could be seen that many figures actually had been in violent situations, run over by cars, hit on the head by rocks, stabbed, and shot. His parents held their breath. However, just around the time Billy turned seven, a new development occurred. Upon entering his room one afternoon, his mother noticed that the people in Billy's drawings no longer were whole. Limbs were missing, guts were hanging out, faces smashed in, heads were severed. This was too much. Something sinister was clearly at work inside her son's head. When her husband came home, she informed him of her horrible discovery. What they found together was even worse. Billy was dead. No, that's actually not part of the story. Sorry. <laughs> I, I continue reading. Not only were the... Pi- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not only were the people Billy drew torn to pieces, but so were his toys. Soldiers were missing arms and legs. A doll had its eyes ripped out. A stuffed cat was cut open at the belly. That did it. His parents stumbled over one another to reach the phone. They obtained the name of a specialist in children's problems and hastily made the earliest appointment they could. With the utmost caution, his parents explained to Billy that there were, was a nice man who wanted to talk to him. And two days later, after dressing Billy in his best clothes, they brought him over to the nice man for his interview. He took their son into a separate room and asked him if he liked to draw. Oh, yes, said Billy, whereupon he produced some drawing paper and crayons and told the boy that he would be back in a little while. During that time, he assured Billy, he was free to play with any of the toys in the room. The specialists left Billy and joined his parents in an adjoining room with a one-way mirror. Immediately, Billy set out drawing his people, lying down, scenes of violence, severed bodies. After a while, he tired of drawing and began to play with some of the toy soldiers and dolls. He then began to pull apart and rejoin the limbs. Immediately, Billy began to break off the various parts and lay the mutilated remains side by side. See, said his parents, aghast, it's just as we told you. Most alarming to the clinician, however, 
was the matter-of-fact attitude of the boy, the total absence of any feeling as he went about dismembering and then lining up the bodies. The clinician told the parents to wait, entered the room where Billy was playing, and skillfully engaged him in harmless conversation around his play. Billy, as usual, always answered politely and to the point. But the specialist found he could not get below the surface. Suddenly, he decided to take a new tack. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? For the first time, Billy showed some glee. Oh, yes, said Billy. Sensing success, he pursued the path. I'm glad to see you can get excited. You know your parents are afraid that you are a very angry child. Angry, said Billy. Why should I be angry? They are so nice to me. The only thing that would make me angry, continued Billy, is if they would not let me be what I want to be when I grow up. And what is that? The man asked anxiously. A doctor, shouted Billy, and he examined another severed toy. And that's the story of Billy, the artist. Mm, The artist. Is it called Billy the artist? Uh, The name of the story is called Projection. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Projection is the name of the story. (laughs) Understood. Huh. I'm not not seeing it. Uh Uh-huh. You know what? This reminds me of um, just recently Jarvis Landry, uh, a um, wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns. There was a video going out that he put on this scary mask and his son is like, I don't know, two years old or something, you know, watching TV and he was, he was going to go scare his son. He's got the scary mask on and he's like videotaping it and he goes up to his son and the son is like, <laughs> doesn't even, doesn't care at all of this scary mask. He's just watching TV and he looks over him like basically eye roll, he eye rolls his father because he knows it's his father. But it's like this whole perception that this mask is scary. But his son, not knowing what scary is, had no idea and didn't find it scary at all. And actually, I was talking to somebody else who had the exact same story. They, they went into like Home Depot or Lowe's and they have these giant, creepy, scary things, you know. And um, they were consciously aware that they weren't going to tell their kids that, that it was scary because the kids would just go up to it and be like, oh, this is kind of fun. Did you see this? Did you see the clown or whatever? <laughs> but this whole perception of that, like, they don't even understand what scary was because nobody's told them that's what it is, you know? And, like, I think of Billy, like, he was just drawing what he thought was going to be doctor stuff, you know? Not, not that it was scary at all. In his mind, it was not scary at all. Um, but the perception from his parents, who have more wisdom, <laughs> perhaps more anxiety, um, is that he's mutilating bodies. I mean, and I think we can all say it was wrong of them to overfunction and confirm that he was not a serial killer. Like, I think right off the bat, we know that, like, that's outside of their realm of responsibility. He should be able to be whatever he wants to be when he grows up. It's nice that they finally asked him <laughs> through probably some sort of copay situation, you know. You would hope so. I would think you would have a nice insurance copay. Yeah, that was my question. What kind of insurance did these people have? Was it uh, Medical Mutual? Uh-huh. Was it Defined Benefit? Sorry, that's retirement plan. Yeah. Strike that for the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's one do with that fable? 
as you think about our, our last podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the issue of trust and how individuals, you know, Alexa, who was on the podcast for part of it, talked about the notion of trust in yourself and lack of confidence in yourself. And, and it, you know, apparently the parents put together this scenario in their mind and drew a conclusion based on imperfect information um, because they didn't trust Billy um, so I see a lack of trust there. And so, yeah, what do you do with this fable uh, regarding the trust angle? What comes to mind? Um, for me, it's just like the lack of questioning in a lot of ways. Just so afraid to ask a question <laughs> um, and the encouragement of, of curiosity. Um, on my board at school, I have curiosity kills. Um, that's a little extreme. You know, Billy would have seen it this way. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But like... I do believe that that being curious about somebody just can can just take away all that can pull away like weeds or like vines pull away that anxiety and allow you to see exactly what's going on and and part of that is because curiosity almost takes a almost in some ways a playful state of you know it's just interesting this is fun I don't I'm not here to Necessarily, I'm gathering some information. I'm not like writing a journal or report on this later. I'm just trying to have a good time, trying to understand, you know, what's going on, what's going on behind the scenes. And so um, I think asking those questions, being curious, can really pull out some information that, um, heck, it might be scary. You might get some answers you're not really wanting to hear, but at least you have some more information. Zach? Yeah, I mean, I think this highlights the issue of the call-in uh, question that we had last week, which, I mean, go, first off, let's just talk about how the coach just said that, you know, we'll answer your questions. So, like, send them in. We're qualified, I think. I mean, we've got... We've read a couple books. We've read so, yeah, at yeah. least two books between the three of we us. We have, right. Relating to this topic somehow. I'm counting The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, that. Not, but, you know, at least two books. Curious George for me, uh-huh. based on curiosity. Are we counting this fable? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a third. So. That would yeah. Be, yeah. And I don't know how many fables were within this book. Let's say... 60. 60. So we're, we've re- at least read close. 60th of a book. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're up there. So anyway, though, I think this really highlights a similar issue that we had last week regarding trust in so much as how do we know how much evidence is enough, right, mm-hmm. for, for whatever conclusion we're drawing? Because, I mean, if I were mm-hmm. to have asked them what, what's the evidence, what ev- I mean, that's some good evidence. There's, there's some perception involved that skews the way that that evidence is portrayed, but it's there. And so that goes to say, so how can we find a way to break out these patterns of assumption? Because that assumption was not necessarily a bad assumption. It was a little bit extreme. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but all that to say is, so how can we do that? And I would say that one way that we can do that is notice when we are being overly distant or overly close, especially about one particular thing. In the episode, I called this, you know, appropriate confrontation or something. But when are you assuming something for someone else that you don't really know? Um, and it's hard to boil that down sometimes. Well, mm. Billy, he 
He's killing, he's drawing people who are dead and he's dismembering stuffed animals and toys. And I mean, that sounds pretty convincing when you say it like that, but what, what do you know? Well, you also know that what evidence might there be contrary? There's no emotion. Um, he's very pleasant and polite. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Billy have to say about this? Yeah. And it's interesting that that didn't come up until the end. And I know in our podcast, the last podcast that we talked about with trust and relationships, Zach, you brought up the idea of essentially triangling in a neutral observer to get some perspective on whether this person's someone that might help me be a better version of myself. But in this in this thing, the, the, the two parents almost fed off each other, so they weren't really necessarily helpful to one another. They raised both of their anxieties, and there was a lot of misinformation, and it wasn't until the therapist got curious and, and was able to pull out those questions from Billy that they're able to be like, ah, now we see. So I thought that was an interesting positive use of the triangle last week and then maybe a negative view of the triangle this this week. And that's another interesting point that you, you mentioned that they build on each other anxieties. And at first glance, you might say that the husband was initially a calming presence. But what you'll notice is there's actually an aversion to any sort of... C- acute action Mm -hmm. that resolves the anxiety and that distance that avoidance I think is probably pretty pretty common where you either try to solve someone else's issues with someone else so in this case uh, a mother going to her husband right and on, on the other hand we might find ourselves just saying it's better left to the future mm-hmm as as y'all were positing on this issue I was having a side conversation with myself, some would say laying the bodies out. I don't know who would, maybe Billy would say such things. <laughs> He's but, trying not to do that. <laughs> you know, he really wants to be a doctor. He wants to uh-huh. sit the bodies up. Yeah, yeah, zip them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just don't, don't try to do, don't put the fabric real close to the zipper gets caught every time um anyways so uh so a question that i was thinking was like how much info do you need you know as you were talking about i'm going to gather information um which then led me to and, and maybe john can help me out with this reference i believe i've heard the word this phraseology trust the process maybe i haven't uh, yeah that hugh jackson uh either that or is it the philadelphia 76ers uh, Coach or the player? Player. Uh, I forget what. Anyways, regardless, I, I, I kind of smirk at that a little bit, but I do think there is a, a point to where Zach was talking about acute action. And, and I do wonder if there is, a, <laughs> there is a question you need to ask, which is going to bring an acute action upon what you're looking for. Um, and so... Uh, another phraseology, which I'm sure everybody really enjoys, is beating around the bush. Um, there's a way that you can do that when really, in all reality, you just need to take the axe to the bush, maybe. Or, I don't know, you could dismember it, perhaps. Yeah, and so twofold. One, one, construct, one thing to mention constructively is, like, a, a way that people find themselves in this realistically is rem, like constantly fixating on a negative thought pattern. They think the same thing over and over, and that fact, that situation, that 
prior event, whatever it is, is triangled in with this negative emotion and there's nothing new happening. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a fixation and a reiteration of the same thing over and over. And so then, you know, we look at ourselves and either with the help of a third, neutral third party or um, just through um, habit asking ourselves, what do I need to do? What do I need to know? What do I need to say that would break me out of this? What And sometimes that's hard to get to. Sometimes there's questions in between, but working to that so that you don't have that same outcome, in this case, the negative thought pattern, is very fruitful for um, as a skill to develop to be able to do on your own, but even to recognize that it'd be helpful to bring in someone else to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my concluding thought on that is, as I look at this projection fable, is that the parents weren't good for each other. They reinforced either or thinking, black and white thinking. They weren't curious. And it took a a neutral person, if you will, the therapist, to be able to Mm -hmm. help draw that out. So as we think about trust and issues of trust and kind of piggybacking off our last podcast, when a person is having issues of trust, going to your best friend and complaining about somebody else is probably a pretty terrible idea because that best friend is too fused to you and they're going to be as unobjective as you are. And so you're both stuck. You've just invited somebody else to be stuck with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas getting a neutral person, doesn't have to be a therapist, just somebody else that's that doesn't care about you as much as your best friend does. <laughs> and But cares for you, but not that much. And then being able to get their perspective. And I think that can help somebody get unstuck. And certainly going off of what you were saying, John, like the parents weren't good for each other. They raised a serial killer. Like the evidence is there. It is. It is. Like they, like, I think we believe that expectations play a formative role in the development of roles and responsibilities. And, you know, a kid raised in a toxic environment like that, like he's going to understand those nonverbal communications, the expectation of violence. And can I just point out how he responded to the only thing? that could make him angry, I'm noticing a fixation on control. <laughs> I am too. And the access to crayons that he had, I mean, they weren't locked up at no. all. That was problematic, I saw. Uh-uh. No, I mean, you could sharpen those bad boys into sharper crayons. <laughs> That's right. Very flat emotional scale too, might I say. One instance of glee and one instance of raw, serrated anger. <laughs> And sheer power, the sheer power of this child, too. That clini- clinician, cl- 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 clinical personnel, he, he quivered. Clinician. <laughs> that clinician, he quivered in fear. Well, I think y'all did a great job of wrapping that up. I really do appreciate that. Um, I'll come roundabout on Trust the Process. It was the 76ers, and Joel and Bede is actually oh. called the process, if I if I remember yes. correctly. So, um, of course, sports balls. Yes, sports balls are. Yes. Um, first off, thank you for listening to our episode on this. And we have many more episodes. This is only episode 83. That means that we have episodes one through 82. And um, who knows? I'm pretty sure we've miscounted at least once or twice. <laughs> yes, we may have done episode 49 six times. Uh-huh. Yes, it's one of Zach's favorite numbers. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 49. I'm sure, John, that's one of your ugliest numbers. It is. On a jersey, the number 49 just doesn't fit well. Earl no. Cooper had that for the 49ers, actually, and uh, it was pretty terrible. It's pretty. You know, I, I was thinking about today, and this has nothing to do with anything, but Ray Bubba Ventrone was number 41. He was. Ray Bubba. One of my faves. Anyways, uh, you can email us at ofleadership at gmail.com. Uh, check out our website at ofleadership.com. Give um, us a like, star, or love on this podcast platform or any others that you might listen to mm-hmm. us on. And uh, know that we release on first and third Tuesdays. So, I mean, be looking forward to us. Tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Send any of your queries or questions to us as well. Because we listen to them and we might make it an episode on a podcast. Yes, that is true. Um, shout out to Billy and his parents um, and the clinician. Um, just props. Yes. How, how long ago was this written? How old is Billy today? Uh, Billy is, uh, he's actually a member of the AARP. Oh, which so. you can actually get the, become a member of those at the age of 32 now, it seems like. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. Harp? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harp? 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 Misha? <laughs> okay, well, with that, I'm Alex. I'm John. And I'm Zach. And we'll arp at you later. See you around, Billy. Adios.